Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Just wanted to say welcome to you. It is good to have you. If you are new or visiting, especially welcome. If there's anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we'd love to do that. Come find uh, me or Becca or anybody else you've seen up front here or somebody who looks like they know what's going on. We'd, we'd love to help you get connected to the community here, so, so don't hesitate on that. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew together for most of this past year. And, and for the past few weeks in specific, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 13. And it's referred to as the parables of the kingdom. And in the parables, what we saw was in large part what Jesus was doing. He was helping the disciples to make sense of, of why people weren't responding to Jesus and the message of his kingdom like they thought they would. He was, he was trying to help them, he was trying to give them some categories to help them see, like, why, why does it not make sense? You see, in spite of all that Jesus had said, in spite of all that Jesus has do, had done, people, many people were still rejecting Jesus and the message of his kingdom. And so much of what we saw was Jesus explaining to the disciples, helping them see the, the reality about his kingdom, and ultimately how what was going on and what was explained, what was happening in ways people were responding, wasn't really about what was going on on a head level. You see, it was about what was going on on a heart level. <coughs> see, and what Jesus articulated is that some people's hearts are just hard to the message of Jesus and his kingdom. And the good news of his redeeming rule and reign, and there's no amount of evidence, there's no amount of proof that's going to switch them over. Instead, it, it wasn't their heads that the, was the problem, it was their heart that was keeping them from faith in Jesus. And, and so I think one of the main things that Jesus is doing in the parables of the kingdom, he was just helping the disciples to make sense of that. He was calling them on mission with him, sending, sending them out on mission with him to be his kingdom ambassadors, and he's just helping to give them some categories to explain like, why are people responding the way that they are to Jesus? But I think Jesus was also graciously preparing them to make sense of what was going to be going on in their own hearts as well. You see, as they wrestled with their own faith in response to Jesus' ongoing revelation of himself throughout the, the course of Jesus' life and his ministry here. And you see, over the course of the coming chapters, what we're going to see is the, the faith journey that these disciples are on themselves. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but one of the things I'm, I'm really grateful for about the disciples is that... Um, they're, they're just a pile of a hot mess most of the time, right? And their faith grows in very uneven and, and unperfect ways. There are lots of moments of great, immense faith and huge, like, chasms of doubt and, and all the shapes in between. And it is not even and it's not regular. And, and there, is, there is confusion in the midst of it, right? They're just regular, normal guys, just like you and me. They still have doubts. They still lack faith. They still don't get it completely, you know, what happens is that Jesus keeps revealing himself to them. He keeps graciously showing them more and more of who he is. And even more than that, he keeps inviting them into what he is doing. In the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their mess, in the midst of their doubts, he's inviting them into what he is doing with them. And he keeps revealing himself to them more and more. I hope that's encouraging. And as we study these coming weeks, I hope you find that encouraging to you. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like your faith is kind of on a roller coaster, a bit of a ride. And maybe you feel like there are some spots where you're just confused or you just don't get it or you just you feel like you have doubt. And so this morning and in the coming weeks, I hope that you find that encouraging. But, but Matthew's gospel isn't just meant to encourage our faith. It's meant to challenge it as well because you see in revealing more and more of himself to the disciples, what Jesus is doing is he's calling them to a robust faith in him. He's showing them more and more of who he is and what he's come to do so that they might confidently trust and rely on him. 
You see, he's showing them more and more of, of who he is so that they might confidently hope in him and put their faith in him and rest in him and rely on him. See, in this morning as we study a pair of Jesus' most well-known, most famous miracles, what I want you to see is that Matthew is calling us to faith in Jesus. He's calling us to faith in a king whose compassionate and abundant provision satisfies needs not only in us, but through us as well. And so see, Jesus is being presented to us this morning as we'll study. He's a king who's compassionate. He's a king who abundantly provides for his people, not just his people, but for all people. And so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll read our passage this morning. King Jesus, we just come before you. We're grateful for you. We are grateful for who you are and for all that you have done for us. And and God, we just come as well this morning. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, you have given it to us so that we might know you and we might know your heart. And, And so God, as we study this morning, we just humbly ask that you would graciously be at work in meeting us where we need you that you'd be showing us who you are and what you're like, and that you'd be calling us and inviting us to a, to a robust faith in you. And so, God, we just say, like, we need you. We need you to keep showing us who you are. We need you to be keeping enabling us to respond to you. God, and as I teach this morning, I just humbly say, I don't have what I need apart from you filling me with your spirit. And so, God, I ask that you might, might do that for our, for, for our sake God, so that we might, that I might teach what is right from your word this morning. But even more than that, Jesus, we pray as well that you would do it so that we might love and enjoy and treasure you. God, we need you. Thanks that you love us. Thanks that you are longing to meet our needs this morning. In your good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are in Matthew chapter 14 and another section in 15, two of the most famous miracles that you've, if you've never been to church, if you've never read a Bible, you've probably heard about these two miracles. It's the the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. So we're going to dive in this morning and see if we can't make some sense of what's going on here. Begin in Matthew 14. Verse 13 begins this way. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew uh, by a boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. (coughs) The disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. We pick up again in Matthew 15. Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee. And when he went up to a mountainside and he sat down, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others. And they laid them at his feet and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled may well and the lame walking and the blind singing. And they praised the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people for they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat and I, and I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And so his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? He, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. 
and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. So two pretty incredible miracles this morning, both very similar. It's hard to note, it's hard not to see how similar those parables are as we read them. Both of them have to do with Jesus miraculously providing food for, for these great crowds who are following him and listening to his teaching. You see, and, and what happens is whenever we see something miraculous, the question we always want to ask is how? Uh, you know, uh, Jesus' miracles are far more than illusions or card tricks, but I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen a, an impressive card trick, right? You, you see this, and the first thing you think is, wow, and followed immediately by like, how is that even possible? And then if you're me, your brain starts to kind of slowly melt out of your ear, right? You're like, I don't even understand how any of this is possible. And like I said, Jesus' miracles are much more than just illusions or card tricks, <coughs> But, the, but they reveal something that, that we all want to know, right? Whenever we encounter something miraculous, the first thing we want to know is how. But when it comes to Jesus and his miracles, the question that we need to be asking isn't how, but the real question we need to be asking is why. You see, Jesus always did miracles for a reason. They were never just drive-by acts of kindness. They were never just simple displays of power. They, as Warren Wearsby writes, he says, miracles were sermons in action. And so Jesus was very deliberately and intentionally teaching and revealing something about who he was and, and what he came to do as he performed miracles. And so the question that should frame any study of Jesus' miracles is the question not of how, but of why. What is it that Jesus is trying to reveal? What is it that he's trying to show? What is he trying to communicate in that? And as we study this morning, what I want you to see is that in Matthew's account of these miracles, the, the why behind these miraculous meals is that he's calling us to a faith in a king who is our great provider. You see, Jesus is king, and he is a great provider. And I think we see three things about King Jesus' provision in our, in our passages this morning. We see that his, his provision is compassionate, it is abundant, and it is satisfying. See, King Jesus, he is our great provider. His provision is compassionate. The first thing that we see in both of these stories is that Jesus has compassionate response to the people who have come to him. In 14, uh, verse 14, he said, says he has compassion on them. Again, in 15, 32, he says, I have compassion for these people. That word translated compassion, it, it means literally to have one's inner being stirred up. It's, it's not just a word for sympathy. It's a word for when your heart is moved towards something. Throughout the Old Testament, God repeatedly reveals himself as a God who is compassionate. Especially when you read the book of Isaiah, you see that over and over and over again. God is a God who is compassionate. He's, that's what characterizes him. And, and repeatedly throughout Matthew's gospel, we see that compassion is something that characterizes the person and the work of Jesus. Earlier in Matthew 9, we, we saw Jesus being moved to compassion when he, when he saw the, the great crowds who, he says, were like sheep without a shepherd. But the feeding of the 5,000 highlights Jesus' compassion even further because what we see happen before this passage, the, the what he heard that, that drew him to a remote, desolate place, the reason why they were out in this solitary place is because Jesus' friend John the Baptist had just been brutally murdered by King Herod, beheaded at a party, no less. And so Jesus is filled with grief, and he, he 
moves to a remote area. And, and despite his own need for time to process his grief, he sees the needs of these crowds who have followed him in their hunger, in their sickness, and he is moved with compassion to meet their needs. And it's not out of his abundant strength or rested preparation that Jesus provides for them. It's in a moment of weakness and grief and sorrow. And he's moved to compassion to meet the needs of those who have come to him. And I don't know about you, but I was really simultaneously, I think, convicted and encouraged by that this week. You see, uh, I think the truth is that when I'm tired, um, I'm not marked by compassion I'm probably more so marked by callousness to others. When my kids are crying at two in the morning, right, it's re- sometimes it's really hard to have compassion in those moments. When I've had a long day, it is really difficult to, to have compassion. Instead, what more often marks my responses to people than, I'm, than I'd like to admit is that my heart's just callous, right? I just look to my own needs and, and the fact that I'm tired or that I need some rest. And, now, I'm not saying that we always need to serve people in moments of grief or sorrow or tiredness or whatever it is. I was just struck this week by the way that Jesus was moved by compassion even in those moments for people. See, it just reminded me how thankful I am that God is not like me. That even when Jesus was tired and grieving, he was characterized by compassionately providing for the needs of others instead of his own needs. And you see, the thing that was so encouraging to me this week is that that's the kind of king that you want to follow. That's the kind of king that's worth giving your life to. That's the kind of king that's worth surrendering to. One that puts, his own, puts the needs of others before his own needs, even in moments of grief and sorrow. You see, his provision is not out of duty. It's not out of obligation. His provision is not begrudging. It's not dismissive. It's not just to kind of get people off his case. Now we see what Jesus is a great provider. His provision is compassionate. He's moved compassion for people. But we see that his compassion his, his provision is more than just compassion. We see that King Jesus' provision is abundant. Did you notice that even in his grief, even in this difficult tiredness that Jesus is in, his teaching and his, he, his healing, right? They're not just sloppy seconds. It's not just barely enough. See, Jesus' provision is exceedingly abundant. In these two stories, it says that there's 5,000 and 4,000 men respectively. So that, so that means including families, each of these Miracles probably fed between ten and 20,000 people each. You see, and it says that everyone at the end, everyone had their fill and they were still leftovers. Matthew Henry's a uh, commentator, he writes this, he says, about the tremendous leftovers found, he said, the provision Christ makes for those who are his is not bare and scanty, but rich and plentiful and overflowing fullness. We should not be surprised then when God goes above and beyond all that we could ask or dream. See, but this morning, it's, it's really important that you see this. You see, the thing that really sticks out this morning is not just the quantity of Jesus' provision. It's not just that it is exceedingly prevalent in its size. What's even more significant that you see this morning, that Jesus' provision is abundant in its scope. You see, the difference between these, these two stories isn't really about how many people got fed. It's not just there was 5,000 at one and 4,000 at the other. <clears throat> it's not just in the amount of baskets that were left over or whatever it was. You see, the feeding of the, what happened here is not about how many people were fed, but it's about who was being fed. The feeding of the 5,000, it happened in a Jewish territory near the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark, who also records the feeding of the 4,000, tells us that that event occurred in Gentile territory further south near, near 10 cities called the Decapolis. And 
You see, what's happening here is, is that Jesus is revealing that his provision is not just for the Israelites, it's for all people. Did you notice how many baskets were left over at the end of those miracles? You see, numbers in the Bible are usually pretty significant. Now, some people take that way overboard, and they're trying to do, like, spiritual algebra, trying to solve, like, hidden problems that don't exist in the Bible, and, like, doing some kind of crazy math stuff. That, that's just obnoxious, and that's not in there. See, but the numbers 12 and 7, those are really significant numbers throughout the Bible. Those are numbers that keep coming up over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible. The number 12, it is always associated with God's people, with the Israelites. There's 12 sons of Jacob, so they formed the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, and the number 7 is always associated with something that's being finished or something that's being completed. Think about the seven days of creation. You see, and so what's happening here with these 12 leftover baskets and with the seven leftover baskets that Jesus is reiterating is that he is not just an abundant provider for the Israelites, he is an abundant provider for all people. His, his abundant provision is more than sufficient for his own people. It is sufficient for everyone. He is enough. And his provision is not just for the Israelites. It is for all people. And in these stories, Jesus is emphasizing these truths. And Matthew, as he records them for us, is highlighting these truths so that we might see what Jesus is trying to lay out for us and what he is doing. You see, Jesus, his miracles are always sermons in action. They're intentionally showing something about who he is and what he came to do. And Jesus is saying that he has come to be the great provider for all people but King Jesus' provision isn't just motivated by compassion. It's not just exceedingly abundant. We see that most importantly, Jesus' provision is that what truly satisfies. See, verses 20 and 37, it says they all ate and they were satisfied. You see, Jesus takes care of their physical needs. There, there isn't anything lacking in his provision when he is finished. There is more than enough. But this passage is about far more than Jesus simply healing the sick and feeding the hungry. See, it's about him being the great provider who is the only one that can truly satisfy. You see, these incredible miracles, they would have undoubtedly reminded the Israelites of a few other miraculous meals in, their, in the history of their people. They would have been reminded of, of the time that God provided for his people wandering around in the desert with manna and quail from heaven in Moses' day. and They would have been remembered about how Elijah filled the widow's jar with grain and her jug with oil. And they would have remembered how Elisha fed a hundred men with just 20 cakes and he had plenty of leftovers. You see, now Jesus has come and he has done something far greater than any of those. You see, Jesus is greater than Moses and greater than Elijah and greater than Elisha. These are all towering figures in the Israelites' history and Jesus is greater than all of them. You see, his provision is abundant, it is compassionate, and it is the one thing that truly satisfies John Piper writes, he says this, Jesus did not just come into the world mainly to give, to give bread, but to be bread. He did not come to be an ever-ready bellhop for our bellies, but to be the all-satisfying bread for our souls. You see, Jesus cares for our physical, our physical lives in this age, but he has come to rescue us from an eternal and spiritual need that we have. See, John chapter 6, 35, Jesus says this, I am 
the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, he is the one thing that you long for that when you actually get it, it actually satisfies. You see, he is the well that will never actually run dry. You see, the truth is we are all looking for something to satisfy. It's our our needs, whether they're physical or spiritual, we're all looking for something to satisfy us. But Jesus is the one thing that actually satisfies. Let's just, I want to encourage you, just be honest with yourself this morning. The stuff that you're looking to for satisfaction and fulfillment, it's not really working for you, is it? It's not really working for you, is it? And if you're honest, it, it's a well that either has run dry or already is, and you can tell already. You see, because the, the way that God has designed the human heart to work is that there is a one thing that gives life and that satisfies, and it's him. He gives lots of good gifts and great blessings, but there's one thing that satisfies, and it's him alone. See, Jesus is saying to these people not just that he has what they need, but that he is what they need. You see, he is the great provider. See, but I think there's one other thing that's really important that we see that Matthew's highlighting for us this morning. You see, these two miracles, uh, in fact, the feeding of the 5,000, it's probably the most, one of the most well-known miracles. It's, in fact, the one miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And if you read each of the different accounts of the Gospel, the writers, they all tell these stories from different angles. And the stories don't conflict, they're, they're not opposed to each other, but they, they focus on different elements and on different people, and, and they have different emphases in each of the different stories. And what we see in Matthew's account is that his emphasis isn't primarily on the crowds and their response to Jesus' miracle, but it's on the disciples themselves. You see, Jesus was speaking to the disciples just as he was speaking to the crowds. And you see, Jesus is showing them, he is revealing to them, he's not just a king who compassionately and abundantly provides for their needs, but he wants to provide for the needs of others through them. You see, Jesus deliberately, he draws the disciples in. You see, the whole miracle begins with the disciples in their own stomachs right the day is getting late and they're getting hungry and so they think i bet you everybody else is getting hungry because i am for sure and they look around and they see the resources that they have and it is very clearly not enough and so they say jesus we need to send these people away and and in 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 their surprise jesus responds in verse 16 they don't need to go away you feed them can you imagine if you were the disciples in that moment are you like you would have just been like what what was that I don't, did you, I don't, I don't think, what? How is that even, you, there's no way this is possible. They obviously cannot do it, but Jesus can. And he graciously involves them in what he's doing. He breaks the bread and the fish. And in both stories, he gives it to the disciples. And it says, each time, he gives it to the disciples and they gave it to the people. You see, I think in those 12 leftover baskets, Jesus is definitely talking about his provision for God's people, the Israelites. But I don't think it's a coincidence that there's a whole basket of leftovers for each of the disciples themselves. You see, I think Jesus is speaking not just to his people at large, but to the disciples in individual. I think he's telling them, you can trust me. I am enough for you. But more than that, I'm not just enough to meet your needs. I am enough to fill you to overflowing. You see, I want to provide for you, but I also want to graciously provide for the needs of others through you. You see, in just a few chapters later, we see them getting a chance to be a part of that again in the feeding of the 4,000, except this time, it almost feels like Jesus is providing for the needs of other people in spite of the disciples, 
right? He uses them still, but it almost feels like it's in spite of them. We don't know how long exactly was between those two events, but it doesn't really matter. You, you think you'd remember the first time, right? You think like if 5,000 people miraculously got fed, that would kind of like get ingrained into your brain. And yet the exact same situation comes up. How are we going to feed all these people? And if you're reading that story, you're like me. You're like, how do you have that question? Like, how is that even possible that you have, you literally just saw the exact same thing happen like 12 days ago? Who knows? Like, how can you not know the answer to that question? But I think if I was honest with myself this week, what I realized is that I do the same thing all the time. One of the things that's been on my heart lately is just, uh, I think about God's provision for this church. Um, whether you are new here or not, this church is one that was planted a few years ago. It began with just a few people, and God's graciously growing it, as we see him doing here this morning. But the truth is, is that this church isn't sustaining in and of itself. There are lots of people who generously give towards this church from the outside to, to make it possible for this church to exist. And there is a date that's kind of on the calendar that we've told all those donors in, in about a year and a half or so that's like, hey, this is kind of the end date where we're planning to be self-sufficient by. And if I'm honest, I think about that date and I often think, Jesus, how are you possibly going to provide? Like, how are you going to do that? And this week, God's graciously reminded about all the ways that he has provided for this church so far. I remember right before we were getting started, I think we were about like 12 grand short in our budget for the first year of this church. I remember I was preaching at a church in Platteville, and I just talked about what God was doing in our lives, and what God was doing in this church, and how God was calling us to plan it. And there's this woman who I've never met before and have never talked to since that came up and to me the day like after that, and she said, whatever you need, just let me know, and I'll write you a check for it. And so the next day, there was a check in the, in the River City Church mailbox for $12,000. You see, that was nothing I could have ever done. You see, and Jesus is the one who provides over, and I have countless stories that I could tell you about stuff like that, about the ways that Jesus has provided for this church. And so I, when this week I, I found myself wrestling, Jesus, what are you going to do? How are you going to provide? I can't see how it's going to work. I feel like it was God's gracious timing for me to read these stories this week. He invited me to remember how he has worked, to remember all that he has done and all that he is doing that I might have a confident and hope-filled faith in him. You see, in both of these stories, the, the disciples, their resources are inadequate, but really what's going on is that their faith is insufficient. See, in both of these stories, their faith is insufficient, but what is reiterated over and over and over again is that Jesus is sufficient, that he is enough that he is the great provider who proves himself to be more than enough. He is the one who meets our needs, and he is the one who graciously uses us to meet the needs of others. You see, it is right and good for us to meet physical needs of others. Jesus does, but the, but the real need that Jesus wants to use us to meet is the deeper spiritual needs of those around us. You see, if you are a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, then your job description is his ambassador. That's who you are. That's part of your identity as his kingdom citizens. You see, every citizen in Jesus' Jesus' kingdom is a citizen who is an ambassador for him. You see, and what we have primarily to offer people is not the benefits of Jesus' kingdom, but is the king himself. You see, and that's what Jesus has come offering himself. He doesn't just say, I have bread for you. He, he comes saying, I am the bread that you need. 
I am the bread of life. I am the one who gives life. I am what you are looking for. And so often I think of it like we're the, like the disciples who just have no idea what we have to offer. David Platt writes this. He says, The disciples were out in the middle of nowhere with seemingly meager resources. They had no idea just how much they had to feed the crowds around them. It was like they were standing in front of the Niagara Falls and saying they couldn't find anything to drink. You see, Jesus was calling these disciples to do something they could not do in their own power with their own resources. Instead, he was teaching them to recognize their insufficiency and at the same time to realize his sufficiency. See, isn't that just a beautiful picture of the gospel? You see, what, what happens in communion every week as we take it is that we're remembering the gospel. We are remembering our insufficiency, and at the same time, we are celebrating Jesus' complete sufficiency. We're remembering our need for Jesus' body and his blood to be broken and shed for us, and we're celebrating that what he accomplished for us was enough. You see, he is the one that we needed, and what he accomplished makes us right with God. You see, we are forgiven, and we are cleansed, and we are purified, but even more than that, we are empowered by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God so that we might actually have the power we need to do the mission that God has called us on. It's a mission that is impossible without Him. You see, and so as we take communion, what we are remembering is not, what we are remembering is the good news about the gospel, that not just that we are saved, but that God is empowering us for the work that He is calling us into. And it is a task that is absolutely, invariably impossible without You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't save you, it doesn't change your status or your standing with him in any way. You see, what communion is, is a chance for us to remember what is true. It's a chance for us to remind ourselves about our insufficiency and Jesus' absolute abundant sufficiency. The bread and the juice, they're in the back. During our time of worship, you can go back and there's one on the left and one on the right and you just take the bread and you dip it in the juice. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if he is your king, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. Do it as a celebration. Do it as a remembering of your insufficiency, a proclamation of your insufficiency, and yet a celebration of Jesus' complete sufficiency. You don't need to be a member here at River City. You just need to belong to Jesus. And as we take communion this morning, I would encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to be the one who, who, uh, who meets the needs that you have. Ask him to reveal himself as your great provider, not just of your physical needs, but of the deep spiritual needs that you have as well. Ask him to show you where you are looking to something other than him to be the thing that provides or satisfies for you. Ask him to show you how he is the one you are really looking for. Ask him to give you eyes to see the insufficiencies of everything you are looking toward apart from him. But more than that, I would encourage you, ask him to show you how he is wanting to use you to meet the needs of others through you. You see, you and I, if you are in Christ, if you are a citizen of his kingdom, then you have the best news in all the world. It is news that your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your families, they all need. And I would encourage you this morning, ask God to fill your heart with a confident faith in him so that you might go out with him to meet the needs of others with him. You see, for the good of others, for, for your great joy as you join Jesus in the work that he is doing, but more than anything, for his great provider. 
as people from every nation and every part of our city come to see that King Jesus is the great provider. His, his provision is compassionate. It is exceedingly abundant. And it is the one thing that really satisfies. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you this morning and we are so grateful for your word. We are thankful for the reminder here this morning and the miracles that we see of the, these feedings. God, that you are the great provider. Not only, Jesus, do you have what we need, you are what we need. God, so help us to be honest with ourselves. Give us eyes for our hearts that we might be able to see the things that we are looking to other than you to be something that satisfies and fulfills and, and gives life. God, God, instead, point us to you. Help us see that your son Jesus is the one who has come. His provision is compassionate. It is exceedingly abundant. And it is the one thing that satisfies the longings in our hearts. God, thank you that you have come to meet our needs. Thank you that you are not just a provider, but you are the great provider. God, help us to put our faith confidently in you. That we might live lives full of bold and confident faith, proclaiming you as the good king who is the provider that we need and that our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers are looking for. God, thanks that you don't just have just enough, that you are more than enough. That's good news for our hearts this morning. Help us believe those truths and live in light of them every day. God, for your glory we pray. Amen.